Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here to the Houghton Wesleyan Church as we come together as God's people to fellowship with one another, to worship him, to learn more about him. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing his praises. Just surrender 
Have no fear, salvation has come and he is here. Have no fear, salvation has come and he is here. Have no Shake up all our hope remains, Lord. 
As I said, it is so great. To, I got my mic on now. It is so great to uh, to see all of you as uh, we've come to to worship. And uh, again, especially want to welcome students who are back in town or maybe here for the first time with the academy or the college. And uh, we love having you here. It's exciting to have uh, 
to have you back. And over the next week or so, more and more uh, students will be coming to town. And uh, we, it brings life to everything here. And so uh, it is great to see you. And we look forward to this year together of worshiping and serving and sharing our lives in community and in the church. There's just a few things that I want to highlight. I want to make sure that all of the college students know that tonight at 5 o'clock we are hosting a potluck for you. And uh, for all, all of you who are here uh, in the community room directly behind us, we would love to have you come. You don't have to bring anything. We have uh, food for you and uh, tables are all set up. We have table, uh, tableware, plates and silverware and things for you. Just come, and uh, we'll be about an hour or so. We don't really have a program, other than the fact that we want to pray for you. And otherwise, just a chance to uh, meet some new people, spend some time together, and uh, fellowship, and uh, eat some food. So we hope you will join us tonight. And uh, for those of you who are uh, a regular part of the community, you see in the bulletin about things to bring. And we appreciate you uh, bringing things. And hope to see all of you back tonight at 5 o'clock in the community room. Uh, next Sunday morning, we move into our full worship schedule of services, 8, 20, 9, 40, and 11. And um, we will uh, be uh, worshiping uh, on Sunday morning each of those times over the course then of the rest of the year. And uh, we will be uh, next week talking about um, what it means to be Christ followers and uh, some specific things about that. Also, next Sunday, Sunday school begins. And uh, we, uh, we want to uh, invite you to be a part of that. Uh, during the Sunday school time, we uh, still need some people to help out with preschool, teachers and assistants, as well as some of our elementary grades. If you're looking for a way to serve, we would love to have you be a part of a Sunday school program. And uh, you can contact the church office, uh, just info at hwchurch.org, uh, email or call us. And uh, we will be glad to get you connected to people to give you some more information about that. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're a a person who lives in the community, you're here as a student, we would love to have you be a part of ministry here in the church, and it's one way you can do that. There are a lot of concerns for prayer that we will be remembering a little later in the service, Uh, things about the persecuted church, as well as the Ebola virus that's going on, praying about that, and there are other needs that are directly connected to us. We also want to pray for... uh, Judy Maley's family, Uh, her brother-in-law Gordon Jeffers died earlier this week after a lengthy illness. I want to pray for uh, his wife Tina, for their family, and uh, ask for God's grace upon them in this difficult time. God has blessed us immensely, and uh, we want to give back to him in the ways in which he's blessed us. So we're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Come, come. 
scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. I invite you to continue standing for the reading of the Gospel, and children ages 2 through 5 will be dismissed for Children's Church following the scripture reading, which, and Children's Church meets on the first floor of the Christian Education Building. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Your kindness leads us to repentance. Your goodness draws us to your side. Your mercy calls us to be like you. Your favor is our
seated. It's intriguing to me that of all the things that Jesus talked about with his disciples and all the things that that they discuss, the only thing we have recorded in Scripture that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them is to pray. In Luke chapter 11, the beginning of this, uh, this verse, it says that Jesus was himself out praying And when he is finished, the disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. There's something about the way Jesus prays, something about his prayer life that they realize is non-existent in their lives. They somehow realize something about the, the prayer life of Jesus says to them, that is essential and we don't have it and we want it. And so they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. But it's not just teach us to pray. It's, Lord, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. And every rabbi in first century Palestine taught their disciples some type of of prayer, some type of model prayer that they could focus around, some type of formula. And each one of those prayers was unique to that particular rabbi. And so they're saying to Jesus, we want a formula for prayer. We see there's power in your life of prayer. We would like that. So give us a formula. We love formulas, right? Lord, give us, give us 10 commandments for successful praying. Lord, we want to know the 21 irrefutable laws of a prayer life. Give us a form. Give us a model so that we don't really have to think that much about it. We can just come and and say it and connect it with you and we're good. What's fascinating to me is that Jesus says, okay, I'll give you a formula. And he gives them one. We call it the Lord's Prayer. We pray it together, at least a form of it, most every Sunday. Luke's version is abbreviated compared to Matthew's version. And both are a a bit abbreviated from the version that we have. That we tend to pray. But the components are there. And this prayer kind of covers life. It's a relationship with God. It's our need for God. It's our relationship with each other. And Jesus gives them this model for praying. And I can see the disciples saying, all right, this is good. We can work with this. Let's go, guys. Let's go to the next place. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. That's not all there is for me. That's not all I want to teach you. There's more that I want to say to you. Just have a seat and let's talk some more. And they sit down and he says, now, let me tell you a story. Again with the stories. And he tells them the story about the man who is on a journey and it's, it's a lengthy journey. He arrives at his friend's house late at night. And of course, these are the days, you know, McDonald's on the side of the road. There's no rest park. There's no convenience store. Of course, we don't have a convenience store here either. So, you know, that, I guess that doesn't mean a whole lot, but... There's, there's, no, there's no place for this person to stop along the road. They get, he gets to his friend's house late at night, and the, the hospitality etiquette says, you, of course, ask, offer them something to eat. He's hungry. He's been traveling a long time. Would you like something to eat? You bet. I'm hungry. He must be hungry. When a guy goes to his neighbor, he asks for three loaves of bread. Good grief. Even if they're small loaves, that's a lot of bread to eat. And a guy goes to his cupboard, and he looks around, and they have nothing. 
You know, they don't have refrigerators. They don't have a pantry stocked with canned goods. They don't have anything to eat. And what does he do? He says, well, I'm going to my neighbor's. It's too important in our culture, hospitality, feeding people who are hungry on a journey. It's too important to let them go hungry. So he goes to the neighbor, knocks on his door, says, I need some bread. Guy doesn't want to get up. In, in typical, a typical house, first century Palestine, it's all one room in the lower level. Everybody in the family sleeps in this room, including the smaller animals. So for him to get up, you know, it's not just walk, stepping over the children. There's feathers flying. There's birds squawking. I mean, chickens, the whole thing. It's, it's midnight. Now, that might not seem late to you. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, maybe. Or better yet, it's 7 o'clock Saturday morning. Might be more appropriate. Or Sunday morning. And Jesus says... That the guy comes and he knocks on the door, he asks for bread, and it's at this point that everything in the parable turns. Everything that Jesus says before this, everything that Jesus will say after this, is, is key, is understood by verse 8. And in verse 8 he says, even though he won't give up, get up and give you the bread because of friendship, because of his shameless audacity, he will give up, get up and give him what he needs. Now, that's not the typical translation. This is the, the, the uh, most current edition of the New International Version. Most versions use the word persistence or boldness sometimes. And the, the idea is that he's persistent enough that the guy gets up and gives him bread. And persistence is good, we value persistence. We, we love the people who don't give up. They keep working. They keep planning. They keep going. They, 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 they will not stop. They will not quit. That is a good characteristic to have. When things get tough, you don't just stop. You push through it. You keep going. Persistence is a good thing. And boldness is a good thing. Courage. Taking risks. These are all good things. The problem here is that when you translate it persistence, particularly... There is this idea in our minds that if we just badger God long enough, he'll give us what we want. If we just pound on the door long enough and loud enough, like the friend in the parable, he's like, fine, I'll get up and give you what you want. You're driving me nuts. I don't really think that's what Jesus means. I don't really think that's what Jesus has in mind here. I actually think that this new edition of the NIV has it right. Because the, literally, the word that's used here means shamelessness. Now, shamelessness can be bad. We have negative connotations. You know, we talk about somebody who will do anything to get what they want. You know, we say, man, they are shameless. You know, they will manipulate, they will use people, they will do anything in their power to get what they want. And sometimes the word shameless has negative connotations for us, but it also has positive connotations. People who are shameless, who are unashamed, aren't afraid to admit they have a need. They aren't afraid to admit that there is something that they need and you have and they ask for it. 
You think about the first day of class and the teachers going through the syllabus and you're reading this along and you're thinking, I have no idea what half of this means. I don't understand this assignment. I don't understand where that's going. Most of us, because of our pride and because of our fear, won't raise our hand. It's people who aren't afraid, who are unashamed to say, I'm an idiot. I don't know. I don't understand. Explain it to me. Which is exactly what, if you're teaching, that's exactly what you want people to do. You want them to ask questions. You want people to admit that they don't understand. That's what the whole teaching concept's about. But in our pride, we have a hard time doing that. We have a need, and we know we need to go talk to someone about it. But we're ashamed to do so. We're ashamed to admit our need. The people who get help are the ones who say, forget that. I'm going to unashamedly go and say, hey, I need your help. Or it's that first day of work. Things have been explained to you about how to run the copy machine, how to to get into this program, how to do what you're supposed to do. And the boss explains everything to you and says, okay, I'll leave you to your work. And they leave and you sit there and think, "I, I can't remember anything they just said. In our pride, we just try to figure it out. And we run off a thousand copies of something on the machine because we don't know how to stop it. People who are unashamed, who are willing to say, I have a need, I don't understand, I don't get it, go back and say, could you run that by me again? I, you know, so many things going on, I didn't quite catch it. And that's hard to do sometimes. And I think Jesus is saying here, it is the people who are willing to come and say, I have a need. I can't solve it. But God, you can. These are the people who get prayers answered. It's not about persistence in the sense of badgering God till he gives us what we want. It's not in a boldness in the sense of if I'm just courageous and I just, and I just ask big enough, then God has to give me what I want. Because all of that is manipulating God. That looks just like all the other nations around Israel whose gods are forced to do what people want because people manipulate them into it. And that implies that we worship a God who is hesitant and unwilling to give us good things. Who is hesitant and unwilling to give us what we need. And the point of the parable is that God loves to give us what we need. God wants us to come to him and say, I have a need I need you. And to do that unashamedly, with openness and a willingness to say, I don't have all the answers. Put aside our pride, say, Lord, help me. This friend in the parable comes to his neighbor, I think, with a certain amount of shame because he ought to have bread in his house. It's a staple. Everybody has bread in their house. It's, it's the one thing you always have. You never know who's going to come to your doorstep. Everyone has bread, except for this guy. And it's embarrassing to go to his neighbor and say, I'm out. I don't have any. But he does it because he has a need. And to not do so would mean that his friend goes hungry and he's unwilling to let that happen. 
So he swallows his pride. And he asks for help. And Jesus says that the friend will get up and give him what he needs. I think there is a, there is a, a subtle rhetorical question in this parable. It's as though Jesus is saying, do any of you have a neighbor who would be so inhospitable that if you came to him and asked for bread, he wouldn't get up and give it to you? I think they would look at each other and say, well, of course not. Hospitality is vital to our culture. It reflects on the reputation, not just of the person whose home the neighbor friend has come to, but the whole neighborhood, the whole community. Of course you would get up and give bread to a neighbor in need. Everyone would do that. And Jesus says at the end of this section, if you then, who are far, far, far from perfect, know how to give good gifts to people who have needs, how much more? Your Father in heaven. How much more? Coming to God unashamedly, admitting our need, is really an act of faith in the goodness of God. It is believing that God is good, like we've just sung. It is believing that God loves us and cares for us and that he loves to give good gifts to us. Now, we may not get the answer that we want. That's the hard part. We want God to do for us exactly what we ask him to do. And sometimes God knows far better than we do that what we think we need is not necessarily in our best interest. But as Jesus comes to the end of this section, he says, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Ultimately, God's greatest gift is himself. Ultimately, the greatest answer to any of our prayers is God himself with us. And he will come to us And help us to understand that he loves us, that he is present with us, that he is at work in us, and that he wants to do more than we could dream or imagine. But it hinges on our willingness to say, I need you. Sometimes I think in the church we've given the impression that to be holy, to be like Christ means that we basically live without any needs. We're past that. We don't need that anymore. I'm convinced that the most holy people are the ones who come to God more often than anyone else and saying, I need you. I need you. That's one of, I think that's one of the most profound definitions of holiness, that we recognize more than we ever have how much we need God. And when we understand that God is good and that we can come to him without reservation, that we can pour out our hearts and need to him, then we realize that God is saying, come to me with everything. All of those things that may seem a little bit mundane to everybody else, but they're important to us, you come because God cares about all of it, everything. And the things that seem 
earth-shattering, the things that are huge in our lives. He says, you come to me with that because I will do more than you could ask or imagine. Nothing is impossible with God. And we come with confidence and boldness. We don't come demanding of God. We don't come God manipulating God. But we come honestly before God. Trusting God. Believing that God who is good and gracious and merciful is going to answer our prayers in the way that is eternally best. I think our struggle to come honestly and openly before God goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve reject God and they sin against him, the first thing that happens is that they feel shame. They put on clothes. And when God comes to walk with them as he has done up to this point, they run and hide. Because they're ashamed to admit to God what they've done. They're ashamed to admit to God that they have a need. And what they need is a new vision of God as the, as the only gracious, good God. And we need that vision too. Something in us tells us if we are really honest with God, we'll be rejected. If we really come to God and say, this is my need, he's not going to care. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned to this very day, God has been trying to communicate to us in every way possible that coming to him unashamedly is exactly what he wants. It is the pathway to relationship with him, to healing, to experiencing his grace, and to becoming, become the people that God has designed us to be in his mercy and grace. This morning, we are going to take time to pray. This is not just something we want to talk about. This is something we want to do. We're going to pray today. In a few moments, I'm going to ask the pastors and the elders of the church to come and just for simplicity's sake to come and to stand behind the altar rail. And then I'm going to invite all of you who want to come and give us the honor and the privilege of praying for you and praying with you. You can come about a need in your own life. Perhaps you want to come and, and, and have us pray about a need in, in the life of someone else. It might be something related to the world in which we live. We have anointing oil here. If you would like for us to, to anoint you with oil, there's nothing magical about that. But when we read through the scriptures, oil, it, it symbolizes the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we're simply saying the Holy Spirit is here and is with you and is on you. If you want to come for something related to healing, something related to a physical need, an emotional need, a spiritual need, a relational need, whatever it may be, it doesn't really matter. We just invite you to come. To come unashamedly before God and to give us the privilege of praying for you.
If kneeling at the altar is difficult, just come and sit in one of these red chairs and we'll come to you and and pray for you. And you can tell us as little or as much as you want about the need. God knows. It's just an invitation to come and pray. So I'm going to ask the pastors and the elders to come now and to, to stand here. And those of you who would like for us to pray with you, to pray for you, please come. And let us pray together. Prayers we prayed here this morning around this altar, in these chairs, in our seats. The prayers that we pray every day in a myriad of places, a myriad of concerns. We do pray especially for those who are struggling with needs, that are connected to us. and We pray for Gordon Jefford's family and ask for your, your comforting presence with them. Father, along with our prayers for life that's directly connected to us, we also pray for the needs that are beyond us. Pray for the persecuted church. And we think particularly of these two Bhutanese pastors, Tardin and Thapa imprisoned for simply conducting a gathering for religious purposes. We pray that you will watch over them, that they will be released. We pray for the whole church in Bhutan living with intense pressure to reject Christ and yet attempting to bear witness to the love of Christ. We thank you for the progress being made in... um, combating the Ebola virus, and yet we are grieved by the death and the pain and the suffering. We pray for millions who are living in fear, and because of that fear are making perhaps poor decisions about the infrastructure of life. And I pray for people in so many countries of the world who do not have the privileges of medical care that we do. And so we pray for your grace to be visible in miraculous healings, in the presence of your church and the courage of your people. And as as people from this country and other places go into the places of need, we pray that you would help them, protect them, And may they be agents of healing and of your grace. And Father, as we embark on another academic year, we pray for grace to be upon all of us, whatever our calling and responsibility may be. We pray that you will light a fire in this place, in our lives, in this church, that will burn with a passion for grace and truth, that we might develop a reputation of loving one another. And of loving all people in the spirit and power of Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the one in whose name we pray, and the one who taught us the prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
please stand as we uh, sing a closing song and prepare to receive the benediction. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your hand. That's just the way it is. You are God alone from before time.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.